welcome to this week's NL Full-Time Podcast. I'm Rob Worrell. Luke's uh, otherwise engaged in this part of the Easter weekend. We'll perhaps hear from him uh, in the next pod. But uh, delighted to host this afternoon and uh, being joined by Dickie Wharton, who's probably clocked up more appearances on this than um, Ken Barlow, as in Coronation Street. <laughs> Uh, wasn't quite in at the start, yeah, like an Ian Beale or a Ken Barlow. But yeah, no, it's really good to be with you as always. <laughs> good stuff. And we don't get him on often enough uh, with uh, so many goings on in his life, uh, in particular young Joby. But great to have you back on, uh, Tom Lang. Nice to be here as always. Good stuff, guys. Let's begin right at the very top this week. We'll look at the National League North and the National League South in due course, but uh, both the title race, the playoff race and the race to avoid relegation in the National League are really intensifying now as we get towards the end of the season. Congratulations to Grimsby Town, already sniffing around the bottom end of the playoff places. They've de- not dethroned, but uh, uh, temporarily decapitated uh, Stockport County on uh, Good Friday and it all turned uh, following the sending off of Anthony Sarsovic. Um, Scott Quigley had put Stockport County ahead. Sarsovic was sent off just before half time. And then John McAtee with his 13th goal of the season. Uh, and uh, Gav Hollihan, terrific, terrific boost to the Grimsby Town ranks towards the end of the season. Uh, got his second goal for the Mariners already. Um, afterwards, Paul Hurst said, well, it looked, he wasn't too pleased with the first half performance and he was thinking about making changes, but the sending off changed that uh, for him and gave the 11 that he'd started with a little bit further opportunity. And they did get control of the game in the, in the second half. Um, and what a turnaround, uh, Tom, for Grimsby, um, riding high at the start of the season, looking like they were going to cruise it and then uh, dropped like a stone out of the playoff races, but they're timing their run back into them superbly, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. I just, um, I just had a message actually before we came uh, to record from a friend of mine, who's a Grimsby fan um, saying, you know, they're going up. They're Grimsby will be playing football league next season. Um, and I think I can understand the, uh, the enthusiasm because they are hitting, as you say, hitting form at just the right moment. Um, we see it every season. And the one that always stands out to me is Braintree town. When they did it in the national league South, they rose from about 16th to, to fifth to take that final player spot, playoff spot and ended up playing National League football the next season. There's always a team who comes on strong at the end uh, and takes that mm. spot. Um, and they are doing well, fantastically. And, and what a player John McAtee has proven to be this season. Yeah, superb. I, I unfortunately saw him uh, to, to great effect against Aldershot up at uh, Blundell Park uh, a couple of months back. little footnote and uh, looking ahead to, to Monday with this one. Grimsby have sold 1,800 tickets for their supporters to go to Kings Lynn on Monday. What an atmosphere that'll be for Grimsby. They really have got momentum. They've been waiting for this a uh, little bit of uh, momentum and success, and they're determined to keep it going as long as they can. Uh, as for that uh, optimistic Grimsby fan who's decided that um, uh, they uh, are going to be up playing uh, football in the EFL next year, there's one or two other teams that might... Uh, might want to question that. Just a final uh, footnote on uh, Stockport County. Something you noticed, Dickie? Yeah, Stockport last lost in the league uh, on the 11th of December away at Torquay. And I think barring a two-all draw with Chesterfield, every league game 
they've played since then, they've won. So that's, it's been a tremendous run that Stockport County have been on. I say that they had their FA Trophy exit at Wrexham last week. Um, you know, runs like that don't continue forever, do they? And they're still uh, sitting pretty. But uh, w- what a tremendous run they've put together. Yeah, so Stockport County slipping up then at the top. Could any of the chasing pack take full advantage? Well, none of the next three teams in the league could. Admittedly, two of them played each other in uh, Wrexham and Solihull, and we'll come to that in just a moment. Uh, but uh, Halifax, they played away at Altrincham um, and uh, led for much of the game. But uh, ultimately, Altrincham uh, pulled level in that one and, and it kind of backed up. Uh, their recent resurgence, Dickie, didn't it, Altrincham? And uh, they, they won't underestimate a point at home to Halifax. No, I think it was something like the first goal that uh, Altrincham had conceded at home in their last six league games. So having been well, not exactly in free fall, but having um, plummeted uh, down the table, um, they've they've managed to get things steady again and uh, and you know built that on a foundation of a solid defence, particularly at home. So. Um, I'm sure it will be a disappointment for Halifax to only collect a point, but in the context of how Altrincham are going, maybe it's actually a fairly good point. Absolutely. And, 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 and uh, you know, just a word for Altrincham. They're in 13th place. They're on 47 points. They've got seven games left. They're going to finish the season with 50-plus points without even a, a look over their shoulder at the relegation places. And I think we touched on it a couple of weeks ago with Chris. That is an excellent achievement for Altrincham. So those two teams that met then at the race course in the uh, live TV game, well, there were a couple of decent unbeaten runs on the line. And quite often when two sides come together that haven't lost for ages, what happens? Yeah, they draw. And consequently, Wrexham uh, now unbeaten in 12 and Solihull Moors unbeaten in 15. Uh, I'll get a look at them at, at, at first hand uh, next weekend when Aldershot travel to uh, Damson Park. But... Um, the game itself, I don't know if either of you saw it, did you, chaps? I didn't know. I was on my way back from Hereford yesterday afternoon, but in, in some senses, the result doesn't surprise me. I do think Solihull are a very capable side. I mean, you don't build a, a, an unbeaten run of the length of the one that they have without being a capable side. I think they've got a little bit of everything. Um, and yeah, ironic that a player we spoke about last week, uh, Joe Sabara, somebody who Wrexham fans were coveting in the January transfer window, reminded them exactly um, why it is they would like to sign him if they could by scoring their goal yesterday for Zolion. Yeah, he was an absolute pest. Uh, it's one of the scrappiest goals you'll ever see, by the way. Um, literally, uh, uh, listeners, I don't know if you've seen it, but I think... Nobody's really got it under control. I think it was Sabara's third attempt to try and squeeze it across the line. The other goal, though, was perhaps more predictable. Um, it was an Ollie Palmer header from a Ben Tozer throw-in. What a stat this is. Wrexham have now scored from 11 of Ben Tozer's long throws this season, which is quite staggering. I remember Aldershot had about 40 long throws from Shadrach Ogi last year, or Ogi. Um, and didn't score from one of them. So uh, um, it just shows it's not just the throw, is it? It's who you've got then competing for that throw. And, uh, and, and there's probably no, there's probably not a better, more powerful striker in the air than Ollie Palmer in the National League. Would you, would you agree with that, Tom? Yes. I mean, Ollie Palmer is, is very dominant in the air. But, you know, the key to having a successful long, long throw in is you've got to have more than one option. Um, 
you know, you've got to have those people that he can flick it onto or who can occupy the defenders elsewhere. And uh, the fact that they've got the likes of uh, sort of Luke Young and Jordan Davis buzzing around off him, Paul Mullins always, you know, in and around the boxes. Oh, there's so many people for defenders to think about. Um, you know, the question I would ask to Dems Advocate is should a team who spends as much money as Wrexham rely on a long throw so heavily? But who knows? Mm. <laughs> I'm joking. Controversial, I'm, but, I'm not yeah. a purist like that. I think uh, it's, it's mm. a very, very effective way of playing football. And because you can get that flat trajectory that you can't get with any way of crossing the ball, really, uh, it's so hard to defend against. Mm-hmm. Chesterfield are in fifth. They were the odd side out on Good Friday. They didn't have a game. And behind them, Knox County took full advantage. Coming from behind to beat Kings Lynn 4-1. And after a good whipping uh, down at Playmore uh, in their last game, you could forgive the uh, Knox County uh, faithful for wondering what on earth was going on when Gold on Mateo gave Kings Lynn an early lead. But uh, they needn't have worried. Uh, Wooten levelled for Knox County. Callum Roberts, Aaron Neman and uh, Alicia Sam uh, got further goals to uh, uh, to complete a, a pretty bonkers week uh, for for Notts County. Tom, um, you weren't with us last week, so I must ask you about Notts County and the two games. Really losing five one to Gary Johnson's uh, not uh, talky last week, um, and then uh, you know keeping calm and uh, turning it round against Kingsley. Yeah, I think like it's one of those things that you, you hear footballers say is like it's it's sort of silly season now. Um, and you're always going to get those, frankly, mental results that pop up. Um, and there's that there's that skill set, isn't there, in, in experienced players, experienced managers, in just boxing it off and putting it behind you. Um, and let's not forget, there's, there's absolutely no shame in in getting even a bit of a spanking at the hands of this Torquay team because they are in very, very good form. They've only lost one of their last six matches um, and they are motoring pretty nicely now. Um, will it be too late for them in the season? I don't know, probably. But um, they are going well, so... Yeah, good, good sort of uh, fortitude from Notts County to bounce back um, and to put a pretty heavy scoreline past Kings England themselves. Yeah, and we've already talked about Grimsby, who are there behind uh, Notts County in the National League. Um, and just following up on the mention we just gave of Torquay United, an excellent uh, 1-0 away win at, uh, I think we can call them rivals. It's not a, a, It's not a local derby by any means, but over the last few seasons... There's been quite a rivalry built up between uh, Woking and Torquay. Woking, of course, under new management with Darren Sull. Um, and uh, according to him, poor in the first half, a lot, lot better. By far the better side he felt in the second half. But that's the second match running that Sull's talked about how good his side have been in periods. But they've lost both of those games. So uh, somewhere along the line, he's obviously trying to uh, build their confidence and show belief in them. But, um, you know, it's a tricky one, isn't it? He hasn't really given them the new manager bounce that they would have wanted working other than, the, uh, you know, that win at uh, Boreham Wood on TV the other week. And, of course, everybody wins against Boreham Wood at the moment, don't they? So, mm. uh, well, we'll come on to that. that. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll, I would say, I think, the question I have about, you know, new manager bounce and where Woking it will go, etc. Like, I think, what, what do Woking want, really? You know, they're, they're one of the small teams in the division, they're not heavily budgeted like some clubs are. What do they expect? I mean, whether they, you know, just fell out of love with the house or not is is a different matter. But they're sitting in 15th in the league. They're absolutely comfortable from relegation. Um, and I just query, like, where where do they expect to be? Um, because if they want to be challenging, then I think 
chance for playoffs and promotion, uh, I think that Darren Sarr is potentially being set up to fail already. Um, it's it's a, it's a difficult job to do because when you see that the manager is being removed for doing what, in my eyes, seems like a pretty acceptable job. Um, you know, obviously, Robbie, I know you're a lot closer to to the to Woking geographically, of course, uh, from Aldershot, um, and know the club better than I do. But I just feel like if you're not happy with with where Dallas had got you, like, where do you expect to be? It's the question I'd ask. Yeah, and the question I'd ask, and I've asked it in a podcast a month or so ago, is where's the real dynamic leadership at Woking? Uh, that's what seems to be lacking and missing for me. All right, they did uh, get the finger out in the end and sort out the Saal uh, appointment. But, uh, um, you know, Woking, we've seen they, they can get 5,000 in there. You know, they did. All right, it was uh, it was the derby against Aldershot uh, in the first couple of days of New Year. But, uh, you know, when things are going well there, they can get four or 5,000 and there's no reason why they shouldn't compete at the top end. But they've got to have the plan, the infrastructure, the budget, uh, to allow them, uh, you know, to do that. Just a final note on that game. I don't think I mentioned it previously, but uh, the irony really that Armani Little scored that only goal. He's a top scorer for uh, Torquay and, of course, a former Woking player. Now, two sides dropping uh, like a stone out of the playoff recently, Bromley and Boreham Wood. Uh, but they had mixed fixture, uh, They had mixed fortunes, I beg your pardon, on uh, Good Friday. Bromley got things done at Eastleigh with a 2-0 win. Billy Bingham and Charlton Loney, James Vennings on target for them. But for Boreham Wood, well, um, when you when things are going against you, they continue to go against you. And uh, somehow, some way, Boreham Wood, um, yeah, the very same Boreham Wood that uh, rocketed through to the fifth round of the FA Cup um, and barely conceded a goal. Uh, or, you know, certainly less than a goal a game over the opening uh, 30-odd games of the season. They lost again, and they lost to Dover, already relegated. Um, Dover's just their second win of the season in the National League. As you know, listeners, uh, we uh, have been uh, supporting and been supported by Manscaped uh, products of late. I've been using the uh, Weed Whacker um to 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 great uh, to great benefit really as you get a little bit older you need a little bit more help in this direction but one of the things we do have to do each week is come up with a manscaped moment of the week uh i think dicky might have one up his sleeve my manscaped moment of the week is the full-time whistle there where dover got the three points and they finally got their total points for the season to zero they've come back from minus 12 to zero well done dover as for Luke Garrard, I did watch and listen to his post-match, as I always do. I love to hear what Luke Garrard's got to say. He was dejected. Um, he said, we are way off being way off it at the moment. He takes full responsibility. What we're currently serving up is uh, pretty abysmal. Um, and uh, a footnote on that one, uh, Boreham would play Wildstone on Monday. And uh, Garrard himself says there's no love lost between the two clubs. Uh, and in uh, the likes of Stevens and Mendy and someone else whose name escapes me right now, uh, they've got two or three ex-Wildstone players as well there, haven't they, uh, Tom? Yeah, they have. You know, they're two clubs that know each other very well. Um, I think, you you know, you mentioned that FA Cup run. Brock Bournemouth haven't won since Everton knocked them out of the FA Cup on the 8th of March. Um, their last victory was against Eastleigh the week, or sorry, the 3rd of March, wasn't it? Um, they haven't. One since they beat Eastley the week before that, um, and it's been a horrible, horrible two months for them. Um, 
it's a real shame. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, I might be spitballing here, but you just wonder when you see the, the tail off at the end of the season like that, you know, Gareth's a really well-respected manager and, you know, there's obviously, you know, many Stevenage fans, for example, I know a number of Stevenage fans who would love to see Luke Garrett at their club. Um, and you just wonder, like, when does he start asking himself the question of has he taken Bournemouth as far as he can take them? Um, especially when you see the strength and the size of some of the clubs that are coming down to the to the National League now and some of the money that other clubs are able to spend. Um, you know, have, it's a really has, good... has that moment passed Bournemouth, maybe? It's a really good point that you make. And uh, whilst I'm not going to quote from it, if you look at uh, on Twitter at... Uh... Luke Garrard's post-match interview, some really interesting comments that follow that in the replies. Um, and, uh, you know, one of those is asking a similar question to what you said, uh, Tom, which is really, um, you know, given that uh, uh, they've fallen away as they have, I mean, given that, uh, as ever, really, uh, a large number of the Borenwood playing squad are contracted for next season as well. Um, there will be some head scratching to go on there. Ironically, what Luke Garrard wants to focus on now, because he answered the question in that interview about whether Bournemouth still had a chance in the playoffs, he said, forget the playoffs, let's just go and win a game. Let's win a game against Wealdstone. They've got horrible momentum against them at the minute. And ironically, Luke Garrard's mantra, let's have a run of one, has never been truer all season. Absolutely. Now, absolutely. I think, and, and one other thing for Dover as well, uh, that result takes them off the bottom of the form table. Uh, I think for the first time this season as well. Ah, nice little stat there. Well spotted. Right, we've held off long enough. The scoreline of the week, the match of the week, and I think it includes Dickie's uh, Manscaped moment of the week as well. Dagenham 7, Barnet 3. Over to you, Dickie Wharton. Just an absolutely sensational game um, between uh, Dagenham and Barnet. I mean, I think Dagenham will still fancy their chances of, of getting into the playoffs. And, and, you know, if they can record scores like this, they, they're going the right way about it. My Manscaped moment of the week, yeah, is a, is a first half hat-trick. In fact, a hat-trick in 20, well, in 12 minutes, actually. He got his hat-trick by the 26th, but didn't get his first till the 14th from uh, Junior Marais. And, uh, yeah, 5 nil up at half-time, further goals from um, Paul McCallum and Miles Weston. And, uh, yeah, credit to Barnet for winning the second half 3-2. Um, but yeah, a, a 7-3 scoreline um, is one that all the spectators present uh, uh, the Chigwell Construction Stadium are not going to forget uh, in a hurry. Well, uh, I must admit it's a result I took close note of because uh, on Bank Holiday Monday, I shall see Darren McMahon's Dagenham at the EBB Stadium. More on order shot in just a moment. But... Uh, Continuing our review of Good Friday's games in the National League. Congratulations to Maidenhead United and Alan Devonshire. I said at the start of the season they'd do it and they've done it mathematically. With a good handful of games to go, they've secured their place in the National League for next season with a 2-0 home win over Weymouth. Sean Donnellan and uh, Josh Kelly yet again on the score sheet there. Uh, The aforementioned Wildstone, terrific 1-0 win for them at Southend. Uh, Reese Brown with the score with the goal, and uh, I think I saw a note that George Wickens saved a penalty from Southend as well. Anybody got more info on that one? 
Yeah, I've seen that one on there. There's a video of it going around. It's uh, not the official one, clearly, because of um, uh, uh, the embargo and things like that. But yeah, there is a the video on Twitter. A really good uh, left-handed save from from the penalty and then getting up to, to, to be ready for the rebound as well. So yeah, really, really good point. Um, or, or three points for Wilson and, and South End of all of a sudden hit a horrible run of form. I think that's something like their fifth defeat in a row. Um, so given that when they hit their resurgence, sort of like January, February time, that they were talking about possibly making a late run for the playoffs, I think we can say that's definitely gone now. And I didn't do it deliberately, Shots fans, but uh, I have left Aldershot Town till last. They went to uh, Quish Park on uh, Good Friday and uh, got back-to-back wins for the first time since November last year. Um, a 2-0 win at Yeovil. Goals from Giles Phillips and Ryan Glover. Um, it was the archetypal Mark Molesley away game plan coming to fruition, really. Keep it nice and tight for an hour or so. Uh, be pretty resilient. Make sure you keep a clean sheet and then be a little bit more expansive or hit the opposition on the counter-attack in the final half an hour. And that's what the shots did. Terrific assists from Lewis Kinsella and uh, Christian Oxlade Chamberlain. It's a huge six points for Aldershot Town, which has lifted them eight points clear of Kings Lynn now. And uh, after the victory, I caught up with uh, the Aldershot Town manager, Mark Moles. It's a hot day, big pitch, and the way the, the, the physicality that the boys showed, the fight and the endeavour, I think it was off the scale because um, it's a really difficult place to come here. Yeovil, really combative, tough to beat, um, hard team to play against. And like I said, especially after a, a long journey in the traffic on Good Friday, um, the boys really rallied and dug deep. And um, again, we got the balance about right. Our defensive resilience was there to see. And you've got to be when you come away from home in this league and uh, took our goals and we got them. And, uh, you know, we had other opportunities to break, but we had to we had to defend resiliently and uh, just about got it right. Bit of a non-event. Um, in terms of chances, really, first off, a couple of half chances early on for Yeovil. But uh, in the second half, uh, Yeovil really started to take it to Aldershot in the first 15 minutes. Now, you held strong, and in a way, they're pushing for that goal. Left a few gaps, didn't it? And you explo- your team exploited it superbly. Yeah, I think the game naturally opens up in the second half. The spaces get a little bit bigger as, as, uh, as the game progresses. And uh, we felt that we know we've got to be in a game. You know, we grow in confidence in a game. You know, that's, that's happened this season a lot. And the longer the game goes on, the more we start to come out of ourselves and show, show a little bit, uh, you know, show a little bit more confidence. Um, because you know, we've had some tough times this season. And um, like I said, we've got you've got to hold firm. You've got to be resilient. You've got to be strong. And we were certainly that today. And then uh, we took our chances when they came. Uh, a word for the goal scorers and the gold makers. You've played Oxlade Chamberlain a little bit further forward of late, and that uh, paid dividends today. Uh, and a terrific free kick delivery from from Kinsella and and Phillips keeping a clean sheet at one end and uh, uh, getting on the score sheet as well. He must be delighted. Yeah, absolutely delighted. And uh, you know, we all know that Kins has got great delivery, and uh, you know, we work we work hard in certain situations. It's great to see when things when uh, you know the lads see some reward for their work, and they, they've seen that today. And I said, yeah, Kins, great delivery. Great arrival from Giles and uh, yeah, Alfie Saunders, a, a lovely ball over the top in, in for Chambo, who really put his afterburners on. And, but a great cutback as well. And um, again, bodies in the box. Bodies in the box on, uh, on what was a real gruelling physical day. We were still breaking, still countering when we had the opportunity. So um, really pleased with them. Loads of lessons still to be learned. Um, you know, 
but um, it's a step in the right direction. Good stuff. I know, um, if you don't, I hope you don't mind me sharing, Dickie, that with Telford not having a game, you're going to go and take a look at Oldham on, uh, on Monday, a team that might be with us in the National League next year. Um, and one thing we do know as a result of Good Friday's uh, fixtures in League Two is that Scunthorpe United will be coming down uh, to the National League next season. I must admit, I, from a personal point of view, I'm really excited that Scunthorpe are coming down. Sorry, Scunthorpe fans, <laughs> not that any of you will be listening to this podcast just yet, but uh, it'll mean that uh, provided Aldershot get the uh, whatever many points they still need this season to stay up, then uh, I'll actually get to go to a new ground next season. It'll be two if Oldham come down, um, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to take a look now at the National League North. Now, Dickie, fascinating battle at the top. It does look as if the title's probably going to be contested between Gateshead and Brackley. And I noticed that they both kept clean sheets on Good Friday, but a pretty different story at the other end for both teams. Yeah, it was. Um, Brackley are, are no strangers to clean sheets whatsoever, but um, they are the, the, also the specialists of the 1-0 win. Uh, they've got 10 1-0 wins at home to their credit so far this season. Um, but it, they, they didn't manage to uh, get the door open yesterday facing Lamington at St. James Park. And Lamington went there and got a goalless draw, um, which the combined effect of uh, Gateshead's result has been to put Gateshead back to the top of the table by a point. They went to Geisley, uh, bottom of the table, very much uh, looking for... Um, the points that they need to get them away from relegation trouble. They've got a new manager in charge in Steve Kittrick. He's taken over until the end of the season after Marcus Bignett, Russ O'Neill and Paul Clayton were put on guarding leave this week. And he got them a 2-0 win at Kettering on Tuesday night, a real surprise result. So optimism must have been high, but uh, yeah, it, it was pretty much killed off in the second half yesterday. Gates had led uh, 1-0 at half-time to Adam Campbell. Then they ran right in the second half with five unanswered goals. Two for McCauley Langstaff. He's now top of the scorers with 24 goals. And there were goals for Loney's, Connor Malley, and two for Taylor Charters as well as it finished 5-0. And Gateshead's goal difference is just that they're on plus 47 now. I think Brackley is plus 30, so it's 17, the goal difference. So the difference there is almost as good as an extra point as well. So Gateshead have, have nudged ahead in the race at the moment, yeah. So whichever one of those two misses out, then uh, they'll obviously have home advantage in a, in a, in a one-off tie to get through to the final. Competing for the other one of those spots and ahead of the game is filed. But they were frustrated by Southport uh, on Good Friday, weren't they? Um, and uh, our old friend James Rowe uh, involved in a little bit of controversy again. Um, good to see James Rowe back, you know, like James Rowe back, back. <laughs> yes, he was. And unfortunately, he, he watched the game or he watched the majority of the game from the stand to being sent there by the referee. Um, both sides would have wanted three points, clearly. I think Southport's desire for three was probably slightly... Uh, more pressing given that they've dropped out of the playoff places on a terrible run of form. They've only got one win in their last nine games. Um, they did get a draw with Lamington on Tuesday night, um, a 1-1 draw, although they were leading 1-0 until uh, at virtually the end of the game when they conceded a, a late penalty, which Dan Turner put away. They didn't have any better uh, luck yesterday. Um, Tyler Walton, um, he was involved in an incident with Will Hatfield in the first half that saw Hatfield dismissed. Uh, he allegedly kicked Walton in the head whilst he was on the floor. Um, the referee um, took the advice of his assistant, dismissed Hatfield. I think James Ray wasn't very happy with that. He got sent to the stands 
but his team ground out a point for them and they stay in third. I don't think they're going to catch the top two, certainly, but getting that home advantage for as much of the playoffs as you can get has to be the aim now. Yeah, and the one team that they probably need to shake off if they're going to make sure of third place is Kidderminster Harriers, who uh, very nearly picked up nothing on Good Friday, did they? With, uh, I think, 25 minutes left, they were 2-0 down at Chester. Goals from Stevenson and Dakers. But uh, Mr. Amari Morgan-Smith and Amari Sterling James, the old double-barrel twins, uh, got some late goals to uh, Nick. What could end up being a, a, a key point for Kidderminster? Yeah, I think so. You know, at 2-0 down, uh, seven, two minutes into the game before Harry's got their first goal, um, it's probably going to feel like a pretty big point given that they were 2-0 down. I'm sure they would be disappointed to be 2-0 down. But um, Chester are safe now, I would say, not mathematically, but I think they're pretty much clear and, and uh, probably felt free to have a bit of a go at them at the end of the season. Um, and yeah, I, I think the big story, unfortunately, out of this one for Kidderminster is an injury to defender Cliff Moyo. He's missed nearly all of the season after suffering a partially ruptured Achilles. Um, he had to go off very late in the game yesterday, taken off on a stretcher. And Harry's assistant manager, Jimmy O'Connor, pretty much confirmed after the game he'd suffered a similar injury to the other leg so that's looking like another really lengthy layoff for him and just really unfortunate news he's he's the kind of player that Kidderminster would have wanted to have available going into a playoff campaign now just behind them uh Chorley they look pretty good for a playoff place but they slipped up uh at home at Victory Park on uh on Good Friday losing 2-1 to uh Alfreton Despite a decent start to that game, goals from Cissé and Hobson eventually uh, seeing the three points go back to Alfreton. But the other two teams in the playoff positions, Dickie, they both uh, won, didn't they? Boston and York both had home wins. Yes, they did. It's a, it's a really, really close race. I do think the top five are absolutely locked in. I don't think anybody's going to be catching them. There might be a little bit of rearrangement of placings within the five, but I think the top five are as good as playoff certainties now, but those sixth and seventh places are up for grabs. York City, um, they moved into sixth place with a 1-0 win over Spennymoor. Very uh, narrow victory. Maz Kuyar scoring an 82nd minute winner on his home debut after he joined them from Hereford. Um, and uh, yeah, Spennymoor, they're in 12th. I don't think their playoff uh, hopes are alive now. And uh, mathematically, they could still make it, but I think they've got too much ground to make up. Boston, they moved into seventh again. Another narrow win, 2-1. They were a goal down to Brad Doherty's 25th-minute penalty. The goals from James Hansen and Shane Byrne in the second half moved them up to seventh in the table. Good stuff. So that's the top end of the National League North. And uh, we'll focus on some of the other results in a minute as well. But flipping our attentions down to the other end, we talked about that heavy defeat for Geisley. What about the fortunes of Farsley? Telford and Blythe Spartans on Good Friday, Dickie. How did they all fare? Well, those, along with Guysley, those three teams are the teams. One of them is going to fill the relegation place um, in the National League North this season. I think Gloucester uh, are safely uh, ahead of them now. And Blythe and Farsley actually played one another as well. So this was a big game um, up at Croft Park. Uh, Blythe had the lead through Connor Thompson in the 13th minute. Jimmy Spencer did level for Farsley on the stroke of half-time, but a goal five minutes from time from J.J. O'Donnell, Glaive, Blythe, all three points. They climb up to 19th, one above, or climbing up Telford in that little mini-league of four at the bottom. There's just five points separating those bottom four at the moment, and Telford have played one game more than the other three as well. So 
uh, on Bank Holiday Monday when when Telford are inactive, it will level it up at 38 games each. So we might get a slightly clearer picture. But in all honesty, I don't think we're going to know exactly who's going down until game 42. Just a couple of other uh, results in the National League North I don't think we've touched on. Uh, Curzon have been in some pretty wretched form of late, but they got a really decent 2-0 win uh, at Darlington. And uh, Kettering prevailed 1-0 against Gloucester City. Any points of note from those games, Dickie? Um, not too much. I mean, Darlington are obviously in really, really good form going into this. I think they've been fancying a late run at the playoffs and Curzon Ashton had gone seven without a win. So it was a bit of a, an upturn for the form book there. Um, goals from Jordan Richards, who followed manager Adam Lakeland, Curzon Ashton from Farsley. He got the first. Marcus Posher got the second. There's a little bit of interesting news coming out of Darlington this week in that there's been some suggestion given that they may have a future away from Blackhall Meadows, the ground that they share with Darlington Rugby Club at the moment. Nothing more in terms of where that is. Um, I think that would obviously involve some speculation about the Darlington Arena on the edge of town, which was built by George Reynolds many years ago um, and, and... which Darlington had just been, well, it, it, I think the, the building of that stadium was was partly responsible for Darlington being in the situation they were of having to reform, unfortunately, and all the financial problems that they got into. I say Kettering's 1-0 win over Gloucester um, kept Kettering on the tails of the playoff chases. Doesn't really matter, I don't think, for Gloucester now. And the only other result was one at the bottom. We, I glossed over it slightly, not because it was my own team, Telford, but because it was probably one of the least eventful games. Um, Hereford beat Telford 1-0 with a goal from Tom Owen Evans in the 44th minute. That keeps Hereford in 11th and Telford in 20th. First slip for a little while for Telford, but they've amassed enough points, haven't they, in recent weeks, Dickie? To feel that they're well equipped to uh, steer themselves to safety under Paul Carter. Yeah, it was the first. They they've been unbeaten. In, they were unbeaten in six going into it today. Now I think there may be. Um, for some observers, there's maybe a few too many draws in that run of of six games, and they've got a, a difficult run in as have one or two of the others at the bottom as well. So, uh, yeah, I know Telford have still got to go to Chorley. They have to go to Southport and they have Boston and York, who are all pretty much teams in that playoff race. So uh, that, that it is a challenge. Maybe they could have done with picking up a few more points from particularly the last four or five fixtures they've played when they've played those other teams around them at the bottom. Um, but they haven't. That's where they are now. And, and you know, with Blythe showing a little bit of form, picking up four points from their last six, Farsley have picked up some wins lately. Um, and even Geisley, I mean, it, 6-0 yesterday against Gateshead, I mean, is a shocking result. But given the firepower that Gateshead have got, maybe it's not that much of a surprise. They showed themselves capable of getting a win at Kettering in midweek, and they've just got to show the same kind of spirit in, in the games that they've got left. Finally, on the National League North then, Dickie, um, only two days rest for the players and the the management teams, they'll be frantically watching footage of other teams' games, won't they? Trying to get themselves ready for Monday. Uh, any particular games catch your eye in terms of the National League North fixtures on Monday? Well, we, you've got to be thinking about the top two and the, and the race for the title. Gates said host Darlington in a game which um, you, you would think favours the home side there. Whilst Brackley are at home as well, they've got Boston United, a team who, again, are looking for, for points to, to secure themselves in the playoff positions. Who knows what's going to happen in those? We're just going to have to keep our eye on them. Um, Foyle should be comfortable there at home to Chester. Kidderminster have got a slightly tricky trip away to Kettering and then switching to the bottom of the table, really. I say no game for Telford. Farsley Celtic have got Southport. Uh, Blythe Spartans travel to Spennymore Town, so that's a, a difficult one for them, a local derby. And there's another local derby in West Yorkshire as well, where Guysley travel 
to Bradford Park Avenue in a, a game that, uh, that, yeah, they really need the points from. Now we're going to have a look at the National League South and listeners, you'll be delighted to know that these recent weeks of me and Dickie and Luke scratching around trying to talk with some modicum of authority about the National League South have come to an end today because we've got a man who watches it week in, week out, albeit through his uh, photographic lens. Uh, Tom Lang. Uh, Tom, take us through the National League South on uh, Good Friday. Where are you going to start? Uh, I am going to start at the top with uh, with Mason, who didn't play. Um, so, obviously, uh, what's really interesting with the National League at the moment is we've got three mini competitions, or sorry, National League South, is we've got three mini competitions going on in the league. We've got the title race, which pretty much is just down to Mason and Dorking now. And then we've got the sort of the battle for those who seem to not want to finish seventh. Um, there's about 10 teams who are in the running for the final playoff spot. And then we've got the relegation fight as well, um, with obviously only one team going down. It's really tetchy. Um, so we'll start at the top, obviously, Mason, who don't have a game. Um, and uh, and Dorking kept the pressure up on Mason. So we've got a four-point differential at the top, uh, with Mason and Dorking now both having played the same amount of games and Dorking having a better goal difference, but Mason atop by four points. Um, Dorking needed that win yesterday. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't an easy one against Chippenham. They got a 3-0 win with a James McShane double and Jason Pryor. Um, and that really does keep the pressure on, especially ahead of next week's fixture, Monday's fixture, uh, where Mason will have to play Dartford as well. Um, so, you know, Dartford are also in a good run. They're battling at the top. They probably just about think they could still win the league if everything goes well for them. They've got 10 points to make up in five games, but it could happen. We've seen but one thing's for sure. One, one thing's for sure, Tom, if Dartford are going to have any chance of winning the league, they've got to beat Maidstone on Monday. Exactly. And, you know, if they do beat Maidstone, whilst that's great for Dartford, who are the main beneficiaries? Absolutely dorking. Um, so I'm sure Mark White will be uh, keeping one ear on that on Monday. In that game, though, it's, we've got to talk about Chippenham, I think, because they were going quite well. Um, you know, I don't think anyone really expected Chippenham to, to trouble the, the title winners or, or probably even the playoffs this season. Um, but also relegation, not really a threat for them. Uh, they were doing quite well under Mike Cook. And then a few weeks ago, they made the decision to depart company with Cook. Before a really difficult run of games of Maidstone, Dorking, and now on Monday, they've got Oxford City. Uh, they picked up zero points from Maidstone and Dorking, which I don't think is a surprise to that many people. But um, it just felt like an odd decision. Mike Cook's a well-respected manager. It felt like he was doing quite a good job at Chippenham. Um, we played them twice this season at Hampton, and, and they're a very hard side to play against. Um, and they grind out some good results as well. So it'll be interesting to see what the plan is for next season. Um, uh, obviously, Horgan is, uh, I think Gary Horgan is taking control at the moment. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the plan is for Chippenham next season. So the next game we'll talk about will be uh, Dartford. Um, so Dartford played Billericay in a match that had real significance at both ends of the table, um, with Steve King's side picking up a 2-0 victory, Jack Jeb and Marcus Denanga with the goals. Uh, and Marcus Denanga has been such a good signing. Obviously, Dickie, a player you'll know well. Uh, he's been such a good signing for Steve King's side. Um, you know, he's, he's essentially able to do a younger Jake Robinson role. Um, and he he just put, they've got so many good players. And he, he's the guy who can put the ball in the net, which they've kind of not not had had that person this season. I mean, Adi Aziz's done well and Jake Robinson's done quite well. But Marcus Dang has come and got eight in about 10 games since he arrived in January. And it's really kick-started their season. Um, so as I say, 10 points to make up. Just about doable, but probably you know, Dartford are, are in the playoffs. Um, 
However, that's a really important result at the bottom too, with Billericay losing and Welling picking up a point. That drops Ricky into the uh, into the relegation zone, that that fateful last spot. Um, and with five games to play, it's really getting tight down there. Um, it's worrying times for Billericay fans as well, I think, because they they threatened to have a bit of an uptick in form. Um, they yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I went and watched them a few weeks ago and that was their second win. I think they got a third win on the back and you really thought they, they, they'd they have enough. But um, but as you say, uh, and you'll come on to mention, I'm sure that... Uh, that Welling, are, who are the, the other team most likely uh, um, to contest for that place or to try and avoid that place, got themselves a, an unexpected point, didn't they, at Eastbourne? Yeah, exactly. Um, a really unexpected point. And I, and I will I'll talk about that in a moment because I think Eastbourne have been probably one of the form sides of 2022 in the National League South. Uh, so that's a really good result for them. Um, so below Darth, we've got three teams who are just nailed on for the playoffs now. Um, you know, this, there's, I think... what when you look from Eastbourne who are in sixth down to Haven't in seventh, it's an 11 point gap. Um, and they've all got, you know, 15, 20 points of goal difference better as well. Like it's, it's comfortable. Those three teams are safely in the playoffs. So that's Ebbsfleet, Oxford and Eastbourne Borough. Um, Ebbsfleet beat Dulwich 2-1 yesterday. Uh, Dulwich like Chippenham, one of a number of clubs who just don't seem willing to take that seventh spot. Um, and a Rakesh Bingham double did for them yesterday. Um, Oxford City, who again, just doing so well this season, they beat Hungerford 1-0. Um, Reese Fleet got that goal. And Oxford have just, they've just motored through that change of manager since David Oldfield left. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Just almost no change to their results. And it just shows what a good setup they've got there. Um, you know, we were talking about it at, at Hampton a few weeks ago. And, and one of the things that Oxford have done really well is they've they've taken a punt on players who, you know, technical players, maybe not the sort of rough and tumble of non-league football that you might expect, the likes of a of a, uh, a George McEachran, for example, who's you know he's a technical player, he's a sil- silky player. That quality can tell if it's trusted. Um, and they did it again this summer. They brought in Zico Asari at right back, yeah, Fulham under 18s, Fulham under 23s. Um, he's not the biggest, um, but he's physically strong and he's technically very good, and it works for them. I think Hungerford as well. They've really gone off the boil at exactly the wrong time of the season. I think if we'd had this conversation, it's sort of January, February, we'd be saying Hungerford, well, they're, they're one of the favourites for the playoffs. Um, Ryan Seeger continues to score goals, but they're just not keeping them out as well as they were. Um, yeah. So, you know, they've got six losses in their last eight matches now. Um, and it's difficult to see them being one, you know, they're still in a good place. They're only one point off the playoffs, but it's difficult to see with the form that haven't are in, Hungerford being able to turn it around quick enough to, to overhaul that. Um, and then, of course, Eastbourne Borough, as you mentioned, three all at Welling. Um, I think a double for Charlie Kendall again. Uh, and How many has he got for the season, Tom? Because I he must be the top scorer. So he's joined second at the moment. Ryan Seeger's top with 26. And then you've got Jefferson Kendall, both with 24. Um, you know, Kendall, I think, again, we're talking about this in the car on the way home on Saturday. I think Kendall is challenging Matt Briggs for best player in the league, in my opinion. Um, he's such a good footballer. Um He's and just to be clear, he's he's actually signed for another team, hasn't he? But he's been loaned back. Just remind us who that is. Yeah, so he's he's owned by Lincoln City now. Um, and he's, you know, League One's obviously a massive step up, but the quality he's shown this season, um, you know, he's got every chance of going there and making a success of it. Um, you know, he's been brilliant. And then the other player he's scored twice, uh, Dippo Akinyemi. Um, what an absolute sign, what an absolute player he's been for Welling. To have 16 goals in that Welling team is incredible. 
Um, you know, he will be, if Welling do go down, or even if they don't, he will be hotly sought after this summer. There'll be a lot of teams that want Akinyemi in their lineup. Um, we've played again, we played Welling twice. He is a real handful. He's tough to mark, he's tough to play against, he's strong, he's direct, he finishes well. Um, and I just think if Welling are to survive, there's going to be a lot of people in South East London that owe that man a pint. So then, yeah, moving down, and then we've got that sort of absolute, you know, uh, kerfuffle, to use a more generally the word than I was going to, to take seventh place, where, you know, looking at the table, you've got Haven on 49 points, all the way down to 15th, Concord have a game in hand and on 44 points. That's a five-point difference. Between nine there. teams, yeah. Yeah, between nine teams, exactly. You know, any team can still do that. It's 15 points to play for, 18 if you're, if you're Concord. It can be done. Um, I struggle to see beyond Haven at this point. Um, they were, frankly, quite stinky for a large part of the season. Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that that sort of middle third of the league has been so inconsistent, they should be dead and buried already. Um, but Doswell, you know, he took a last ch- last throw of the dice. Um, he brought in Stefan Payne and Manny Dooku. Uh, I think, let's just have a quick look. Between, so between Stefan Payne and Manny Dooku, they've scored 10 goals since they've come in. And that's just that's been absolutely crucial for them. So that's 10 goals from two players in three months. Um, they sent James Roberts out on loan to Hampton. He had a really good spell at Hampton and they brought him back. Uh, you know, is as tightly is their right, but it did make me cry a little bit. Um, and he slotted straight <laughs> back in and has scored. Um, and they're really firing now. Um, they did draw nil-nil at Bath um, or against Bath, um, which is a pretty shocking result. But I just, assuming they score in their next game, which I think they will, um, it's difficult to see them not taking that seventh spot. And just below that, Tom, just to let you pause for a breath for a sec, I know you're going to go there now anyway. You talked about Jeffers. He's, his goals have dried up a little bit uh, towards this part of the season, haven't they? And St Albans have, as a team as well, probably the standout, most shocking result for me um, on Good Friday. <laughs> St Albans uh, losing 3-0 at home to Chelmsford. 100%, Rob. Um, totally, totally right. I mean, I think we spoke on here in maybe February, January, February time. And I said that when Jeffers' goals dry up, St Albans are in trouble because they don't really create much more. Um and, you know, I don't want to say that I'm a genius, but that's pretty much exactly what's happened. Um, they were inconsistent when he was scoring. And now that he's not, they are consistent, but consistently bad, unfortunately. Um, oh. They've won one and drawn one in their last nine, lost the other seven. Um, and it was going to take somebody pretty bad to turn Chelmsford's run around because they haven't won since the 12th of February. Um, so, you know, for them to win 3-0 at Clarence Park was a real turn up for the books um, and does spell just how how wrong St Albans' uh, season is going at exactly the wrong time because they did so well for so long. Uh, they're a massive club. You know, they're moving out of Clarence Park soon. It would have been great to see them in the playoffs uh, at that old historic ground. Um, and it's it's just hard to see it happening. It feels ridiculous to be saying that and to speaking in those sort of terms when they are one point off the playoffs in eighth. But seven losses in nine games to have taken four points from a possible 27, you're clinging to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and just to tee another one up for you, Tom, um, two teams that you might think surprising given the seasons that they've had um, are still actually in that pack and in contention for a playoff, albeit very, very much an outside chance. They met yesterday, uh, Hemel Hempstead and Hampton and Richmond, your side, um, going into the game, both sides on 44 points. Uh, Hemel 
despite having a goal difference of minus 14, um, are actually now sat two points off the playoffs as a result of yesterday's game. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I thought, uh, my, my view yesterday was that whoever won that game retained a reason, reasonable chance of playoffs. Whoever lost it didn't. Um, and I stand by that. I think I think that um, that's probably Hampton's chance of the playoffs done. You know, mathematically, it's totally viable. They're only five points off. But I think uh, Hampton have got to play uh, St Albans. They've got to play Havant. They've got to play Hungerford. So they've got to play all those teams in the mix. And uh, and Hemel, they, they were good for their victory. They, they deserved it. Both sides hit the woodwork. Both keepers made a, a couple of good saves. I mean, if I'm totally honest, it was a bit of a turgid game. Um, it wasn't great. Um, but Helmsford, Hel- Helmsted? Hemel Hempstead, uh, and I said Port Montero of their name, I'm sure they're for that. Um, Hemel Hempstead probably did deserve the win, if I'm totally honest. Um, Charlie Hughes, again, you know, I'm talking about strikers, talking about those signings that make a difference. Charlie Hughes came in in January, another player, scored eight goals. Um, and uh, it's really turned their seasons around. I think it, I've got to say another signing that's really turned their season around was bringing in Joash Nempard. Uh, he was at Sutton United last season. He didn't make a lot of point, uh, appearances, um, but he is, is just a really... He's, they're playing at centre-back. I've seen him play centre-midfield before, and in the same way that sort of Ben Chapman does at Ebbsfleet, he has that ability to sort of take the ball on a half-turn, receive it under pressure in the back four, beat the striker, and then it opens up play. Um, and then when you've got players in front of him who are as intelligent as like Sam Manton, for example, he's going to make that space. Uh, it does make them very difficult to play play against and they can play through the thirds very effectively. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was impressed with Hemel yesterday um, in terms of how they controlled the ball when they had it. Um, and so they they probably are still still in with a shout. Moving moving down the league, then you've, you've also got uh, Tunbridge playing at Slough yesterday. Uh, another player with eight goals, Alfonso Telenconi, got his eighth of the season. Um, he's again finishing hopefully going to finish the season strongly before he heads off to the United States to go to college in the summer I think he's going to like Stanford or Yale or something like that um, turns out he's a, a genius and a good player um, <laughs> 19 years old and he's just been a real star for Slough this season I think you know Scotty Davis uh, has raved about him a few times on social media uh, he is a very very good young footballer so big future for him both those teams safe I think the chance of them troubling the playoffs are, are nil really uh, same for I know I said Concord can do it but I don't think they will they won one nil away at Braintree um, who have now lost three games on the bounce um, but look to have done enough in that really good spell they had sort of January to March to have done enough to be to be comfortably clear now um, which then brings us to the bottom of the table and, and when we look at the bottom of the table we've got in my opinion, three teams in it now. I think Chelmsford, that win yesterday, probably pulls them clear. They're six points ahead of Billericay, but their goal difference is, is over 20 points better. So you, that's, you know, we all know that's essentially an extra point on the table, isn't it? Um, so I think I think Chelmsford and Up are safe. I think, you know, it looks, it looks doesn't it, like Welling and Billericay are the two really in trouble, but I just have this nagging doubt about Bath. Um, and I know speaking to people around around National League South that, that a lot of people feel the same way. Um, they've got they've got so many good players. It doesn't feel like, you know, Alex Fletcher, Cody Cook have both scored 13 goals. To have your strike force sitting on 26 goals and be third from bottom is pretty unheard of. They've got mm-hmm. Elliot Freer. They've got Tom Smith, who was the player of the league in the National League South two seasons ago one of the best footballers at step two in the country. And I just don't know what's happened to him. Mm. Um, I think we've seen from Bath, like the perils of using the loan system so much. They rely very heavily on Bristol Rovers, Bristol City, 
Swindon Town, Cheltenham Town um, for young players, and it, it just isn't working for them this season. And the problems at both ends for Bath, isn't it? They're the second lowest scorers in the league, and they've got the second worst defence in the league. They're basically averaging one goal a game and conceding two, and uh, that's going to leave you exactly where they are, third from bottom. Exactly, you, you're going to end up in trouble, aren't you? And you know, I'm totally, totally speculating here. So when you look at some of the quality they've got on the pitch, the likes of Fletcher, Cook, and Freer. I don't think those players can come cheap. And so my question then is, are Bath spending big to have those sort of marquee players, but then leaving the cupboard too bare to stock the rest of their team? You know, is it bringing in some big names at an expense of actually having a fully functioning unit? And I don't know don't know if that's the case, um, but having watched them twice now, you know, Hampton, we've struggled going forward this season, really struggled um, to be creative and to break teams down. And we've scored seven against Bath in our two games. You know, they, they don't defend well and they are easy to pick apart. Good stuff. Great review. Quick look ahead at Monday's fixtures. At the top end, we've already touched on the fact that uh, Dartford uh, are playing Maidstone. At the bottom end, uh, interestingly enough, a couple of the sides in the bottom four there are playing each other as well, aren't they? Chelmsford at home to Billericay, who will be desperate to get something from that. And uh, St Albans, if you're listening, Sean Jeffers, if you're listening, you're going to Hampton and Richmond on Monday, uh, and you can uh, you can ram Tom's words firmly back down his throat. If you like. <laughs> uh, and they almost certainly will, because St Albans are always what, like, no matter where they are in the league, St Albans are always one of the best teams when we play against them. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And I, and I have to say, I also think they do have uh, one of the absolute best keepers around at this level in Michael Johnson. Uh, he's a, an absolute Rolls Royce of a keeper. Um, but another game as well to keep an eye on as well will be Haven't versus Eastbourne. Um, I think that Haven't's ability to uh, bounce back from a disappointing draw against Bath against a very good side in Eastbourne will tell us a lot about their mettle to uh, to seize that seventh place that nobody wants. Great stuff. And uh, just a final word, is we, we don't get you on too often these days. Tom, if I was to sort of push you for three names, three players uh, in the National League South at the minute that that, that whether they go up with their clubs or not are destined to play at least National League, if not EFL. We know Kendall is going up um, and, and, and you've talked about a couple of players frequently, haven't you? But uh, anyone else that's destined for greater things? Um, yeah, I mean, I think... So I won't talk about Dorking or Maidstone players because I think, you know, the likes of Joe and Luke and people like that, they Jack Barham, they've, they've got the quality to, to play up a level. We know that. But there are, there are some real quality in the other team, in the other teams lower down the leagues. I think Luke Holness at Braintree Town, I wouldn't be surprised to see him move up through the leagues. Um, I like him. Uh, he's a, a handful. He's very energetic. He's a live wire. He's caused us real problems both times uh, when we played against him. Um, I think Aaron Cool at Slough Town gets a lot of credit. I think uh, Scott, Scott uh, Davis is a fan of him. Um, he's not a, not a bad player at all. Um I think as well. Who? Uh, in fact, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say uh, Lucas Ness. We've so we've got Lucas Ness on loan at Hampton and Richmond. Uh, he's on loan from Charlton Athletic, and that guy has he's 20, 21. Literally everything is locker. You need to play centre back, um, and I think he he'll be obviously back at Charlton this summer. Um, and I, if he does go out on loan, I don't see him going below League Two. That's a, a fantastic roundup, um, chaps. Thank you very very much for joining us, uh, Dicky. No, you're welcome. Good to speak to you. And uh, Tom, great to have you on again after uh, a little while. Yeah, it's lovely to be able to uh, to get on and, and chat to you both. 
Great stuff. That's it for this week, listeners. Uh, don't forget you can subscribe to NL Full Time on all good podcasting platforms. Enjoy your uh, bank holiday Monday, your Easter Monday games, and we'll speak to you again very soon. <laughs>